Hello, my name is Nick Spacek, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk with writer, director, actor, and musician Brendan Small about the return of his hit Adult Swim show, Metalocalypse. Musician at all, etc. Brendan Small would be a legend if he'd stopped with the creation of his Adult Swim animated series Home Movies in the early aughts. Following it up with the heavy metal fantasy comedy of Metalocalypse secured that status for all time when it debuted in 2006, however. Spotlighting the death metal band Death Clock, whose popularity makes them the seventh largest economy in the world, Metalocalypse managed to skewer the music industry as effectively as Spinal Tap, while also being a wild ride into interpersonal relationships, worldwide conspiracies, and a cocaine-addled clown based on David Lee Roth. The series has been absent since its last special, The Doomstar Requiem, nearly a decade ago. It returned on Tuesday, August 22nd, with a feature-length series finale entitled Army of the Doomstar, accompanied by both a soundtrack and a fourth Death Clock LP, Death Album 4. Ahead of its release, we hopped on the phone with Brendan Small to talk about Metalocalypse and its history. taking time out of your day to talk to me i appreciate it absolutely um small side note before we begin uh when death clock did their first tour ever um you all played uh the ballroom at the university of kansas and yeah you rode in my car to go to the college radio station oh i remember that i remember all that stuff i mean look i've, I've only done like two tours so they're very <laughs> memorable <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, like, you've got this tour, like, coinciding with, like, a new album and a full movie and a soundtrack to that movie. What's it like just, like, dropping into this thing that you haven't done for a while? It's really strange. It's really, it's a really bizarre, it's really bizarre because, like, in, in many ways, like, uh, um, I didn't think I would ever do it, Um so it's really strange to say yes to all this stuff 
at the same time and go, all right, because I, it, the feeling, the feeling is very bizarre. It really is like trying to go back to high school or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I'm going back to high school. I'm, I'm in my forties, but I'm going back to high school. So, so there's something really odd and wrong about the feeling, but the way that we're doing this, the, the way that this whole movie was conceived and the way that it was landed was exciting enough for me to want to get back into it. Cause, cause the idea was to, how do we, how do we elevate everything? How do we make it more intense? How do we make it more cinematic? How do we make it more exciting for the makers of the movie and the audience at the same time? How does everybody get to kind of win out? And also doing this amount of, uh, I guess, creative work is a challenge that I can't back down from, you know, because <laughs> uh, that's because like around like uh, the, the, we did a show in 2019 that kind of that kind of opened the door. And and shortly after the, the show we did, we were, you know, I was offered this, this movie and these coinciding records. And so I thought this is a lot of work. It'll take actually years to do this. But um, but this is the whole reason to do the show is to finish it, really, to me, and to to complete the arc. Because a comedy TV show with no finish or no end, to me, is kind of a worthless endeavor. Because the whole idea is, they, you know, in TV, characters are in stasis. They don't change. They kind of have to stay the same way, or at least in traditional TV that I was doing at the time when this show was on the air. Um, so... So the idea was, this is where I get to kind of land the idea, the message, the whole thing, and to complete the arc. And that was that was enough reason for me to want to do it. Well, and what's crazy about it is, like, there's not just, uh, like, a soundtrack. There's, like, a whole album to go with this, and which I find is really interesting because, like, that first Death album was primarily songs that were from the show itself. And yeah. Yeah. now you've got, like, this album that is for the most part you know there's like two songs in the actual film itself so i'm i'm curious as to yeah where that creativity came from where you're just like let's not just do a soundtrack let's do an album you know they it was funny because it was pitched to me in in basically yeah so you'll do a record with it and i'm like okay well the way that this this movie works is there are two important songs there's actually a third one that's kind of um, alluded to, but it's kind of it's kind of snuck in there, which is the song "Dead Face." Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that that is so the question is yeah, how do I break the pattern? Which is like, first of all, I, the way that I did the other ones, I was making it up as I went along, <laughs> which is that every episode had a song, and then I would kind of elongate those songs or add you know bridges or odysseys or whatever it is to elongate them into like a full length song. And then that would be like a, a secondary challenge after having written kind of a verse bridge chorus, whatever. And they didn't have like 35 seconds of it on TV. Um, so, so it's a different challenge, right? Yeah. What do I do with this and how do I do it? And so that was the question. So that, so that puts me in a place where I go, okay. Um, now that I know in 2020 that this is going to come out in like 2023, let's start demoing. And so so basically I'm sitting there and I'm doing kind of what I normally do, which is like sit with my guitar and kind of almost like I'm at like a slot machine in Las Vegas. I just pull the, the lever and sometimes I get like, you know, like three tomatoes and I'm like, okay, this is something I can maybe get to the finish line. Just as far as like what, the, what a riff or two sound like to me. 
And then sometimes I get like, you know, like, uh, oh, it's an onion and a top hat and, you know, a thimble. And, and then like, okay, so that one doesn't have anything. And, oh, that one has two cherries and a lemon. I can use, I can do something with that. And so, so that's what I'm doing is I did like 30, 40 demos. And I was also just kind of interested in, in at the time, Death Clock was kind of a reflection of what was going on in heavy metal then. Plus, I guess somehow my own kind of personality gets kind of stuck in there or like at least no choices or or, or ways of arranging that I'm interested in and kind of get snuck in there. And this is kind of, I wanted to kind of do the same thing because I didn't want a death clock to sound the same. I wanted them to kind of acknowledge a modern kind of soundscape um, and production and all that stuff. And, and also just like the movie kind of have two ideologies, which is like the kind of mystical and the kind of just aggressive and uh, a clenched fist and, and fury, you know? Yeah. Well, and the movie also sort of addresses, like, the difficulties of the creative process, which is, like, a very, like, common theme, like, throughout Metalocalypse as a series is just, like, the idea that, like, songs aren't easy sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, well, the idea is, like, also, I mean, this is a show when you really step back and, and you know, most people don't see the show this way, but I have to kind of figure out how to make the show, you know, cause I got to make it. So I'm always thinking like, what is the show? This is technically a workplace comedy because, <laughs> because they work in heavy metal and they are this kind of family. It's a technically a family workplace comedy show and they are this kind of family and they are a creative family. So this is about creativity. This is about, about, um, creativity and, um, commerce and art and, um, but ultimately, character-wise, it's about the ego, it's about celebrity, and it's about these kind of myopic dipshits who can't see past their own noses and don't care about anybody but their own personal, like, kind of Neanderthal wants and needs. So so all that stuff is kind of wrapped up in the same thing. But yeah, this is about a guy who, um, Nathan Explosion, who, after suffering some kind of post-traumatic stress from the Doomstar Requiem, finds himself in a romantic and emotional flat spin when he is given the ultimate challenge, which is to write the song of salvation, which may or may not save the world. So yeah, I thought that would be interesting to get into act two with like this, this guy who is just not up for the challenge being thrust into the, this kind of dark place. The documentary that is on the Blu-ray um, you, you talk about how the show, despite what people might think features like a lot more score than it does actual like songs. And so for the first time, like we're getting like a, a score uh, uh, for yeah. Metalocalypse. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as to like what it was like for you to have that music released for the first time, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the songs for which people know you best. Um, that to me is one of the more exciting parts about doing this thing. Cause you know, like I said, if there are new challenges that there, that's the reason for me to kind of go back and, and dust this thing off. And that's one of the challenges because I really love film music. I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I think film music um, is what makes something cinematic visuals and just, and, and sound and something that just kind of kind of gets to the subtext of the, the scene, the character, the crisis, whatever it is. And that was something I really, really wanted to play with and make big and moody and slather it with music everywhere, but also really kind of nail down two, two separate themes and, um, you know, the good guy theme and, the, and kind of the bad guy theme. 
And so um, for me, it was really exciting. Plus, I had a really good team in Sparks and Shadows, which is Bear McCreary's mm-hmm. kind of team that he uses in you know, all of his stuff. And Bear and I have collaborated over the years. And um, he's kind of got a job that I really liked. And I was like, oh, I want to score movies. Why don't I just make a movie and score that? <laughs> and um, so, so that's, so that's kind of what happened. And we got to kind of go through everything that I wanted to go through. And so now I know how to do it. I mean, I've known how to do it already, but I just got, now I have proof. And, um, and it makes me want to do more of that stuff because that was some of the more easy fun in making this, this whole thing. Because it was all just right in front of me, you know, as, as, and in fact, the score kind of starts when the writing is finished. I kind of record every single part of every single voice doing impressions of Mark Hamill and Malcolm McDowell, et cetera. And I, um, start my version one of the score just to kind of, cause all I can hear is audio and I can't see anything yet. Storyboards aren't finished, but I need to make sure my story's working. So I am kind of urging it with music and also getting the tone right, the moodiness right, you know, the darkness right. I was actually so, going, I, w- I was going to ask, like, working with Bear McCreary, like, notably on that um, remake of Blue Easter Cult's Godzilla, like, yeah. if, like, getting to work with, you know, like, a full orchestra, like, on that song, like, if that, like, reconfigured how you approached uh, music... Um, well, you know, it's funny. Before that, we had done this one-hour... This is the last thing we did. It was in 2013. It was called the Doomstar Requiem, which is a one-hour-long rock opera special. And this is before Godzilla. And this is me and Bear helped with the arrangements, but this is us and a 50-piece orchestra. So I, I was already, I was already like up for that heavy metal plus orchestra challenge in 2013. Then we did this thing. And when we did this thing, Bear score. I love Bear score in that movie. And uh, and he and he called me one day and he said, "Hey, we're gonna do Godzilla." I'm like, "That's so great. That's so fun. Uh, it's like it's like when you hear Iron Man at the end of Iron Man, you know, <laughs> um, the movie. You, know, you hear Black Sabbath and you're like, "Oh, right. That's the coolest thing you could have done." Because also, Godzilla is one of the best guitar riffs of all time. I think so. Agreed. Um. So yeah. So so Barry and I went back and forth on him like a. I think he, you know, he he played me something. I was like, he's like, what would you do with this? And I go, well, uh, send me the file and I'll. I'll uh, and I I messed around with it a little bit. I think in drum stuff. But then I said, here's what I would do if you want to want to know what I would do. And then we ended up doing some of that stuff and we just collaborated a little bit. And ultimately, that was Barry's whole. That was his whole. You know, it was his thing. So I collaborated a little bit, but he took it and ran with it and made it bigger and more bold and got Serge on it and. And there's me and Gene Hoagland from Death Clock and Brian Beller, Death Clock also. And uh and yeah, that was that was super cool. It's one of the coolest things I've done. Well, like through Metalocalypse, like you've gotten to work with like a lot of very notable luminaries from the metal scene. Is does this just kind of like make like you know, like teenage you just absolutely like giddy? <laughs> yeah, well, without a doubt. I mean the way I used to describe it is uh, I pay my heroes to hang out with me. <laughs> but they have to come into this voiceover booth and do something. But I'm paying them so that I can bother them and ask them questions and, and just kind of see who they are and how they got to where they are, you know, basically. And you realize that you realize that all these professional musicians are really professional and they're easy to get along with. And from, you know, Billy Gibbons to Slash to... Dave Grohl to Metallica to Kirk Hammett to like 
Scott Ian to to King Diamond, who is absolutely lovely. Um, I was and to Joe Satriani and Steve Vai, my guitar heroes. You know, all these people are just like there's a reason that they are in this bizarre carnival still and still incredibly popular. You know, uh, it all kind of starts adding up. But but yes, of course, those are my heroes when I was a kid, and they're my heroes as a grown up. And um, and yeah, it's it, it also does something that's kind of magnificent, which validates our show. Because without them, I think we just people could, you know, the metal community could go like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Who are these people? Are you making fun of me? And uh, the answer is yes, but it's only because we love you. So you're getting ready to go out on this uh, tour with Baby Metal um, that will run you through October. Uh, what's been sort of the, the, the practice regimen and how, how do you feel about it? Um, first of all, I have been for like about three plus years trapped in a room making this movie. So I'm dying. I have this wanderlust where I just want to break out and get on the road and just see the country. And that's kind of like what I've been dreaming of was like being in a car and seeing the country. And then I realized I'm going to do that. I'm going to be on the road, but I get to play guitar. And so, so the, the, the way that we prepare is, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, getting the teams ready, getting the, getting the um, tour management team ready, getting the front of house ready, getting monitors ready, getting the, getting the whole team, the guitar techs and, and all that stuff and, and making sure the band is up and running and ready to go and, and all know their parts. And we've discussed the new songs and we've discussed the old songs and discussed all the stuff, that, the, the order, because we have to plot out our order long before we even get in the rehearsal room because this is all playing the picture. And, um, and so, so all that stuff is, uh, but I, you know, that, that's just preparation and logistics. And, um, and so that's just stuff that we do. And so I'm in the middle of doing that right now. I'm in the middle of working with, you know, animators and compositors and editors to kind of fine tune this, this timeline. And then for me personally, um, I'm just going over all the songs. I sit there with it. I sit there and it's the most boring thing you could possibly do, but I sit with a metronome and I just play to it. I play to a metronome all the time. I just run scales. I play through the song. I play, and then I sit there and I do the kind of water torture of playing through <laughs> a metronome. And what happens is you stand back and you go, "Wait a minute, I forgot." This makes me such a much better, tighter player to just sit there and do this kind of miserable, miserable task. But it's also fun, and all of a sudden my picking is just flying. But at the same time, during this past few years, I've had a guitar in my lap every single day. You know, so. So reconnecting with the guitar has been, you know, pretty crazy because I got a lot of jobs and guitar playing is just one of them. And I've got a, and while I'm working on one thing, another thing is atrophying. So you got to try to keep all your muscles somewhat in shape. And that's been the trick, but I feel really good. I think this is going to be a really fun tour. Playing through this set list has been really fun. And I don't always say that because sometimes like when 2019, when we kind of did our first show in a really long time, that was difficult. It was a one-off and one-offs are just like, you got one shot, get it right. <laughs> see you later. Play a 100 sweep or Don't make a mistake. Play all these scales. Don't make a mistake. Um, and, uh, that's terrifying. This is like a, for a bunch of musical perfectionists, which is like what Gene, Neely Brosh and Brian Beller and Pete Griffin are. They're musical perfectionists. They do not make mistakes to challenge them in this way. is really fun to, and, uh, to be able to keep up with them is a really important thing too. 
Well, that is wonderful. Brendan, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday afternoon to talk to me. This has been a, a real delight uh, and uh, break a leg on this tour, and I can't wait for everybody else to get to see this movie as well. Cool, man. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Nice to, uh, nice to reconnect. <laughs> yes. Have a good rest of your day, man. Thank you, too. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Thanks to Brendan Small for speaking with me. You can find his work at his website, which is brendansmall.com, and on Instagram and Twitter at Brendan Small. Metalocalypse, Army of the Doom Star, is available now on Blu-ray, and both its soundtrack and Death Album 4 are now streaming. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromaninspiredpod, and can be found on Instagram at fromaninspiredby. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Also, please hit up the website and click on the Aid and Assistance button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Until next time, whenever that might be, thanks for listening, and go check out my horror podcast with co-host Julie Holland, The Carnage Report, available via the Cinepunks Podcast Network. (laughs) 